Yeah, exactly. It'll be uh, podcast magic. Welcome, everybody, to Pen Pen Pals for our continued coverage of Darling in the Franks. Uh, this is going to be episode three. Uh, I'm Alex, and with me are... Hey, this is Brian. And hey, this is Ben. Um, and today we have another returning guest from season one, uh, where we covered Neon Genesis. Please welcome... Oh, whoa. <laughs> it's been so long. Like, oh, really, thank you. This is extremely exciting and vibrant indeed. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. Um, have you seen Darling in the Franks previously? Now, I will be very honest with you. I have made it halfway through. I have. Oh, interesting. Yes, I have not made it all the way because my issue is, and I'm, I'm going to be very straight with this. Mm -hmm. um, I tend to jump to different anime because I have many interests going on and many different ideas. So I get inspired by many artistic things that are happening so uh in in the all the anime that you've been uh bouncing around between has you ever found one that uh has been like about like jazz pianists you know that's the <laughs> i will say there was an anime by the name of uh kids on the slope oh. um if you're familiar but uh I, yeah i know that one yeah that one uh i i found it funny how they have references of john coltrane um and i see like bill Evans. Yet in my head, I always think about Art Tatum. Art Tatum will always be one of my favorites, along with Oscar Peterson and Nat King Cole, even though I don't like to have preferences of who I really love because every individual jazz musician, I think, brings a very different color palette to the table. Regardless how extraordinary they are, I, I like to believe that there is a sense of individual genius to how they present themselves. So your color palette comment, that could have been a lesson for uh, uh -huh. the, the audience that was either coming from a trigger or A1 alignment that had certain expectations but hmm. wasn't able to appreciate the unique color palette yeah, yeah. that two studios mm -hmm. came together to create. Ah, uh, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right, so shall we see what, uh, what color palette is in store for us tonight? <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Uh, uh, oh, wait, hold on. I did uh, a thing. We talked about it oh, last time. You did week. the last time on? I did. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Here we are. Okay. Last time on, so you think you can Franks. Hero couldn't remember his first time, but everyone else sure did. Nana resumed her duties as the Parasite's caretaker, furthering Dr. Franks' 10-step plan for happiness. Zero Two gobbled up ham, honey, and a lot of attention. Zorame continued some egocentric cycles of abuse, while Futoshi used food to placate his anxieties. Goro kept a watchful eye, Ichigo used a good excuse to get close to Hiro, and Hiro failed to pilot again, leaving his success rate at 33%. Can the girls establish some boundaries? Will Hero's rejection turn Ichigo to anger, to the dark side? If only there was more Klaxosaur killing to occupy their time. Mm-hmm. And now... Uh, ready? Mm-hmm. Three, two, one, play. Did I already mention how Pavlovian the Funimation jingle is? Yeah, I gave myself a name <laughs> and you should have one too. Mine's Hiro. He named himself Hiro. Because that's what came to mind when I thought about your code number. So, that's my name now? Hey, what about me? Yeah, I want one. How you doing on uh, these lyrics, Alex? Uh, I've been studying them. I am not confident enough this week, but mm. I'm working on it. Well, it is quite a bit more sultry than uh, 
What was the name of the Evangelion theme? Uh, Cruel Angel's Thesis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Man, I can't believe they show the freaking nines like right in the opening sequence. Yeah, that's cool. Wow. You know what I mean, Ben? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Finally, my first battle. Just try not to get so full of yourself you blow it like last time. Relax, I've got this. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm gonna clip that. <laughs> that's gonna be our outro. Strelitzia, that's enough. The other units have all evacuated. Now get nah, out. I'm gonna have some fun before I leave. Stop it. Get back here right now. Girl. Prepare to recover Strelitzia and its stamen at once. On the double. Recover? Feel bad for Ikuno. Yeah. Looks like Strelitzia saved us all again. I'm sorry. That was my bad. Eh. Doesn't matter whose fault it was. We're partners, so we're in this together. Miku, thanks! What's the matter? You're not yourself. Sorry. I guess I let my guard down once I heard that help was on the way. Get it together! Yeah, turns out this kid really isn't cut out to be my darling. Only you were my darling. You alone. And I thought back to what she said before. I can get you out of here. All right. Down to it. Yeah. So this episode, uh, I feel like this is a really common phenomenon. Like, I looked down and it was 15 minutes. And I was like, wait, what? No, we just started this episode. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what do we start off with? The garden hero is naming kids. Yeah, um, so this is episode three, Fighting Puppets. I don't really know what that means. Hmm. I mean, it's just referring to the... I guess, is it referring to the Franks or the Parasites, right? Yeah. Or, or the Klaxosaurs. Oh. I mean, I, I get like the use of puppets as a metaphor. I don't see how it applies to our story, though. Hmm. Wait, what? What do you mean? I mean, right now, it all just seems pretty routine. There's Klaxosaurs that show up. The soldier is supposed to get to the big robot and fight it and kill it. That's what they did. Well, giant robots are a type of puppet in and of themselves, right? Yes. I agree with that. Uh, I guess what I'm looking for is like, is there some sort of theater that's happening that isn't what it seems? I don't know, man. You tell me. Well, let's ask Ben. I, oh. <laughs> or Ed, whatever. I, I was about to say, the way I see it, yes, I see it as a theatrical play. These These kitties... So happen to be on stage. I'm saying that these kids are the puppets and they're here like dangling on string strings, but they don't realize it. They're being controlled by some higher force. Um, oh, is, is it a ruse or a ruse? It's a what? A ruse. It's a ruse. It's a ruse. Oh, it's a ruse. It's a ruse. What's wrong with you? It's a ruse. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the fighting puppets is referring to the kids and the, the puppeteers are these like adults in the this scenario that are saying, you know, like, you're not allowed to do this. You know, who, who is, who gets paired with who in, in what machine and, and that stuff. Those are like the puppeteers in this case. Yeah. Okay. So we open up with a scene of hero. He's having his like checkup after piloting with zero two. And he's having these thoughts about when he was younger as a nestling in the garden we find out that he's the one that gives everyone these names. 
Uh, we see some personality contrast. Hero is very bright and sunny. Uh, everyone else seems pretty insecure. He says that they're um, waiting for parents who would never return. That they they were nestlings that had a dream of soaring the skies. We believed that the great blue skies awaited us outside. Uh, do they not believe that anymore? Was that just Hero that thought that? What the hell does all that mean? I mean, they do get huge blue skies, but I mean, I think that's just like a uh, maybe an overglorification of what they thought would come, uh, what fighting would be, uh, but also. Uh, it could be like uh, talking about, you know, a generation and their thoughts on the future. Mm-hmm. They're like, we thought the economy was going to be great. We thought that mm-hmm. social movements would go our way. Like deception, I guess a sense of an illusion, perhaps. I think like disillusionment yeah, is what it's dis- okay. about. Yeah. yeah. So in interviews with earlier like Gynax alumni, they sort of talked to themselves as like a latchkey generation that were growing up largely unparented disillusioned by the mm-hmm. the previous generation mm. uh so i feel like maybe this is our first like expression of that continuing theme yeah and are they mostly like younger gen xers and older millennials or would you say they're like squarely gen xers uh <laughs> I, I don't know if those generational uh, things parallel uh, across cultures i mean they're about our age i guess <laughs> Right. Okay. So like, I mean, there's still parallels that can be drawn, right? There's like the timeline of Mm -hmm. post-war reconstruction. And then there's also a generation's uh, relationship with technology. Um, So there's there's a Japanese sociology book called Speed Tribes. And one of the things that they point out about what would correlate to what you said, young Gen X, older millennials, is this is a generation raised by the generation raised by people with PTSD. Sure. It's like if you think about Vietnam vets coming back, having their kids, Mm -hmm. and then the next generation that was raised by them, or World War II, I guess. I don't know. World War II, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. (laughs) I mean, directly, right? Oh, yeah, there it is. Yeah, I I guess the the U.S. got... The U.S. was, you know, quote unquote, lucky in a sense that um, it was just our veterans returning, right? Whereas Europe and China and Japan, where these battles were actually taking place, you know, it was like all the civilians and everyone traumatized as well. So the answer is yes. (laughs) (laughs) Any more about any of that stuff? No, did I say he names himself hero? He names himself hero. Oh, that's right. I haven't even. I feel like you're not allowed to do that. I feel like other people have to call you hero. You know, I, I I find it kind of funny and actually interesting how he just takes the mantle of, uh, I guess, being a leader, right? He just comes out of nowhere and he decides, I'm going to do this because I can. Yeah. It's funny how all the other kids, there's something contradictory in the sense of being a leader and taking the initiative. Who is taking that that mantle for themselves? Like a good example, not to completely veer off. Um, mi- Mitsuru. Mitsuru. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mitsuru. Thank you. Thank you. His ambition, his desire to be more. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm just mentioning that it's funny how in the sense of like he wants to be his own leader. And I see that in every kid in some way, but they portray it in a different light. You know, mm-hmm. it's like all of them are trying their best to be the lead, but you can't and not everybody can be a lead. Well, I will say Mitsuru was a really cute toddler. <laughs> mm. <laughs> One more comment in this section. We So we had this dead bird in oh, episode yeah. one, and, and then I guess the beginning of episode two. 
and now we're talking about you know the nestlings and the the bird cage. I don't know what that means, but is this the first time he calls it the bird cage, Brian? Do you know? Um, I don't know. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's the place that they live in now. Mistletine or mistletane? Mistletane. Mistletane. Uh, yeah, it's Norwegian for mistletoe. Oh, mistle and mistletoe is a parasitic plant, I believe. Yes, indeed. Does it kill uh, trees? Yeah, uh, it kills oaks. It kills things that are hundreds of years older than itself. Oh. All right. Uh, so let's just jump into this son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we start with the hero and Ichigo. They get into an elevator together or something. Mm. Just... No, I think it's a debriefing room. Okay, there it is. This awkward proximity moment. Mm. So it's it's the day after. Uh, having their kiss and Hiro <laughs> looks at her lips and he's like having thoughts and he's about to say something and then Nana cuts them off and the moment mm-hmm. is uh, ruined. And I think it's like hours after because they're still wearing their suits. Yeah. So then uh, Hiro makes his way back to Mistletane and Goro is just still chill as ever about whatever this thing is going on between Hiro and Ichigo. But then... You know, Hero uh, sticks to his original idea that like he must pilot, and if Zero Two is the only one, then that's where it's going to be. Goro is freaked out by that. He's like, you know what happens? She's a heartbreaker. She goes through <laughs> men so fast. <laughs> but like, basically, right? Like, yeah, basically. They don't. They don't last long. She's a very intense uh, gambler. <laughs> she she has all of her cards, and she's like, you know what? I'm going to play it like this. Player's gonna play. Is this her <laughs> what? No. Like they're meant to be together. Okay. Look, their names rhyme. <laughs> All right. I think he believes her when she says, "Like you're the only one for me," and he thinks the same about her. And like when you are young and you feel like you found somebody who's like. I don't know why they like me, but they really, really like me. It's really intoxicating, right? It doesn't matter what Goro says. Hero's oh, gonna yeah. ride with Zero Two again. Yeah. Yeah. Hero's in. All right. So while that's happening, uh, the other pilots are in like a lobby inside. Zoro May is still talking shit talk. Uh, Mitsuru says something belittling to Zoro May. I guess it says something that he's not just cold directly to Hiro. He's indiscriminately cold to everyone. Uh, Miku is still critical of Ichigo, and Ichigo just happens to walk in as she <laughs> is is talking about her. And it's interesting. Like Ichigo is still very optimistic about Hiro. Um, just w- one little thing about this. I noticed in the background what would supposed to be like art hanging on the walls or on pedestals. It all seems to be like organic samples. It's like leaves and feathers and seashells. Uh, oh, cool. No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, like... no actual paintings. Oh. Kind of reminded me of like some dystopian sci-fi where like most organic life is extinct and now these relics are like highly prized or something. A thing of the past. Yeah. So, so one thing that's kind of interesting, so we had this thing at the beginning about, you know, we thought everything was going to be bright and we we're going to soar the skies. And that's also kind of Hero's story, right? He was the natural leader. Maybe he assumed he would keep being the leader and everyone else did. But then, um, you know, he's struggling now. And um, 
isn't the leader that they knew when they were they were kids. Yeah. Well, just because you're good at naming people doesn't mean you're good at piloting. <laughs> like, we do know that Hero did perform like he was a high functioning parasite because why else would they have such high expectations? He's not the pilot they that he once was. Something did happen. Oh, you mean something happened, but he doesn't remember? Or was his memory... Well, we, we haven't really been told yet. Ah, okay, okay. Again, I don't want to jump too much ahead. Mm. I'm just curious. Yeah, so I don't know what this incident was. I, I didn't know. I wasn't thinking that there necessarily would be one. But I feel like there is this kind of thing where, you know, I think people sort of form like hierarchies. You know, it's not strict, mm-hmm. but it's like, especially in places like schools and stuff like that you know there is some sort of like social hierarchy yeah and i do think that that stuff really changes up in puberty and you know maybe you're the cool kid because you're charming and funny whatever and then some other dude like grows a foot taller than you or whatever you know and then like and and you know it's kind of the sexual attraction stuff comes online and then that Mm -hmm. really changes up the these hierarchies and everyone has to kind of figure it out again like around that that age Mm -hmm. just when you think you got the world figured out they just like shake you up again no that's right the tide (laughs) rises the tide falls there is constant change there's no way you can keep up the only constant in life is change Okay, before it's fully out of my head, uh, High Functioning Parasite is a great album title. Oh, yes, I agree. (laughs) I love it. So I'm anxious to get on to our next scene. This is my favorite part of the episode. Take it away. Bake them away, toys. Take them away, boys. Hey, I'm the chief here. Bake them away, toys. What'd you say, chief? Do what the kid says. So Hero is wandering around. He sees Zero Two just crouched and presumably waiting for him to finish his debriefing. Uh, he's scoping out her horns. They have this funny banter back and forth about him being a pervert. And she drops that Dr. Frank says that, uh, the pilots are better off being a little pervy, but she doesn't explain it. And then she wants to take him somewhere. And, uh, and we find out about this like S class pass children, the parasites, they can't freely go anywhere they want, but apparently zero two can, or she's stolen an S class pass. We don't know. Uh, but she comes back through the gate and they take a sort of dancing position with zero two as the lead Daddy. and she takes him through the gate and it's just this like real cute scene. And maybe I like that because my first date with my wife was, uh, dancing, but, uh, I really, really like that moment. It's wonderful. It's also the first time we get zero two's theme. Yeah. Uh, which is this slow, sad number, just mm-hmm. like uh, Char's theme from Gundam. Like it was slow and sad and then had this like probably a Japanese instrument that you're not, I'm not used to hearing in music. Yeah. So this is the work of uh, Asami Tachibana and it is specific. I don't know what period, but it's, it is Japanese folk music. Uh, that's the influence you're hearing. I'm sure there's some kind of uh, ethnic uh, significance to what was going on there that's probably lost on me. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but we, we get this very interesting scene where Zero Two takes Hero to this like balcony and they're looking at the cityscape and uh, it's breathtaking. And um, yeah, so this is the first time Zero Two's theme is playing and she changes her tone. Like it was like lighthearted and flirty and now she's talking about... Like, darling, do you want to run away with me? I can get you out of here if you would like. And she's doing this, like, 
really freaking dangerous thing. She's out on this ledge that's like two inches wide. She's out on this long thing that looks like a tree branch or something. And, you know, it would be great if Hero had something to say, but maybe he's just shocked by how dangerous this looks or being confused about what she means exactly. Uh, But then this strong gust of wind happens and she, like, tilts about 20 degrees and then just does this crazy, like, gymnastics combo. And then... Just kidding. Yeah, and and I guess he's about to name her, but we don't get the name, right? Because she kind of changes the subject. Mm -hmm. And when she's out there, I mean, she also says something that's pretty... um, I don't, not, not nihilistic, but like um, almost like flirting with suicide or something like that, like something pretty dark. I, I can't remember the exact line. Well, Hero sees the city and he's, mm. it's magnificent to him. And she's like, this is a dead, lifeless city. Like there's no oceans. There's mm. no sunlight. Mm. But wasn't there something too where he's like worried about her falling and she's like, yeah, well, if I fell, then it doesn't matter anyway, right? Once we die, all we'll be is a statistic. It won't matter what we were called. Oh, that's right. Something yes, like that. yeah, exactly. we're all gonna die. So, so I think we're starting to see her her darkness, and I don't know. I'm worried that it's foreshadowing some suicide. Okay, but also something I wanted to add about that scene. It's interesting how we look at the light as a form of media, being like, "Oh, it's a place of refuge. It's an illusion." I like to think it's the opposite. That in dark places, in places that are very quiet and calming, we can find. Yeah, that, that safe haven. And I like to think that when that, when that city scene hits in, it's not only like a veil of illusion, this curtain, but I like, I like to also think that it is a reminder that the light is very much a deception. So there's something there, like the medium we're observing, right? Yeah. It's animation. It comes from film, mm-hmm. right, originally. And it has become this refuge place. Like uh, entertainment is there for everybody. But you're right. Like it is an illusion. Um, the light that's being projected there, it is It is not the thing, right? Uh, and sorry, just before we, uh, uh, before we do move on, and I forget it, um, yes. Hero in this scene is like, totally overwhelmed right first he does this thing that he knows he's not supposed to do Mm -hmm. this door you're not supposed to get through this door like they're gonna be mad at you and they're already mad at you Mm -hmm. like why are you sticking around they're probably gonna send you back off to the garden because you just failed to file out of franks again and then she does this super dangerous thing and then she's like do you want to run away with me and you're like "Uh, even if he could answer like even if he knew what his answer really was he can't say anything in that moment it's just totally overwhelming and it's a repeat as far as this crew goes Mm. because in flcl it's the exact same thing that happens at the end in the climax when uh, nauta he has his first like kiss with haruko and uh the cataclysmic event is uh, averted and everyone's saved and then she's like hey do you want to come with me? And he's like, I do, but I do. And they both Haru or Haruko and uh, Zero Q, they cut it off the same way. Yeah. I hadn't been thinking, I mean, Zero Two has a lot of Haruko, right? Like the pink hair and the, you know, seeming to defy gravity and being this kind of like, you know, not quite human pixie kind of character. And then this scene also makes me think of the Evangelion scenes where they're up, you know, they drive the car up to that overlook and they're looking down at the city. 
Yeah. You know, it's like this similar like Vista kind of thing. But in Evangelion, there was this, you know, the kids were living within the city and we, we saw all the human stakes. Like there was constantly like that reminder. Yeah. And this time it's like the children are isolated. And I don't know if that's going to be, you know, that maybe the whole city is a lie or if it's like that they, if they knew the stakes of what they were doing, it would be too much. So they're trying to like protect them from that or, or something like that. I don't know. Oh, shelter them because it's so overwhelming. Yeah. Those are great ideas. And this show is awesome. And I cannot wait for it to unfold again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but can I share a personal anecdote before we move on? Of course. All right. So I think I just realized why I like this scene so much. So when I was in my early 20s, uh, I did not go to college. I tried to make it as a musician. And I, I met this other young woman who, uh, right out of high school, she just decided to backpack across America. Uh, she came from Seattle. And uh, we went down into Washington, D.C. just to see the sights. And we went into the National Cathedral. And this is like pre-9-11. So we just like walked right in and were just wandering around. And we found this like tower with a spiral staircase. And we went up in it. And we were clearly not authorized to be there. It was a private area. It's the National Cathedral, Brian. It's everyone's cathedral. (laughs) (laughs) But like, she kind of got giggling. She's like, oh my God, I feel like such a deviant. And the the vibe was like, oh, we're like in a church. We should make out. But like, we're sitting, we're looking out this window and it's it's a spectacular view of the DC mall. And I'm there with this like beautiful woman. And like, it's not just that she was pretty. It's just... Like I was so in awe of like just this young single girl backpacking by herself across America. And I guess I just had that hero moment. I just like froze. (laughs) And she just looked at me. It's like, you know, she didn't say just kidding, but it was something to that effect. And that was the end of our date. (laughs) So we, we leave uh, zero two and hero. I almost said hero two. Heroes, hero zero. They're hero made two. for each other. Hero two. So presumably they they rejoin the others because we go back to a briefing room and Hero is there. He's just in his dress gray suit, and the others are in their um, piloting suits. This is going to be their very first sortie, and Nana is telling them that there is a Conrad class Claxosaur. Uh, this is something that's just a bit smaller than a Frank's. So it should be easy. Yeah, it should be easy. But um... they have a problem right o- off the bat. Like they all, uh, not Strelitzia, but the other four, they get into their uh, Frank's. But uh, Mitsuru and Ikuno have a problem. Right. right. Yeah. So the scene that's happening with Ikuno and Mitsuru, it, it feels kind of like two partners that are having some kind of sexual dysfunction. You know, you, sometimes you got to get into the right headspace or emotional vibe, you know, to enjoy the experience. And sometimes one or both people are just not there. So that's how the whole thing felt to me. And then it just felt like Mitsuru was even worse because of his cold response to Ikuno, like clearly trying very hard to connect with him. So that just seems like a doomed situation there. Another strange dynamic between this time 
Ichigo and Goro, like she was going to say something possibly about Hiro or the kiss, but then was at a loss for words. And they gave each other the 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 friend mm. fist bump. Yeah, mm. they're they're friend zoning. He's like, hey, you ready to get into this uh, robot and yeah. sex pilot it with me? And she's like, sure am, buddy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I was kind of wondering if she was going to um, try to kiss him or ask him to kiss her. Well, so far, they don't seem to have a problem. Like, as, as Kokoro mentioned, uh, Goro and uh, Ichigo uh, have high sync rates. At any rate, we go from there to a, a smaller-sized uh, squad. This time, it's only three of them. It should have been four. But they get to the scene for their first sortie. And to me, this is a big, gigantic sexual innuendo. Uh, they comment about a really, really big hole and a really, really big pipe, a monster pipe. And uh, mm. they go down in it. <laughs> There's some more character tension, I guess, back in the briefing room. Mm. Nana does make a comment about Ikuno having always been a bit unstable, which mm. seems like an insensitive thing to say. And then Mitsuru uh, is still kind of a shitty person. Like uh, Nana saying that just this thing alone isn't enough to justify changing partners. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you something to change a partner over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we get to... Uh, our team uh, that is fighting their first Klaxosaur, and it looks kind of like a Pokemon or something. <laughs> and uh, they punch it and kick it. And then finally, uh, Zorome and Miku do their big anime yell as they stab the thing. Yeah, uh, they do like a uh, Chrono Trigger three-character uh, combo technique to take down this one little thing. And then uh, Zorame is like, yeah, we're the best. And it's like a, a tutorial enemy in a video game. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Celebrate. Good job. Right. And then, of course, like a million of them show up. Yeah. Uh, so the situation is out of hand. And then we cut back to the briefing room. And Zero Two is there saying, hey, let me grab Hero. We're going to get Streletzia and go save the day. Uh, Hachi is just a total idiot about this. He's like, I can't give permission. He's like, well, we were in a position like this before. And Hero and Zero Two saved everyone. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like about permission. Uh, so what the hell is this guy's problem? Is he just a fucking robot or something? Mm. Uh, but then Zero Two says something interesting about that. This plantation squad is about to be wiped out again. Uh, that's interesting. So at this point, uh, Hiro asks Zero Two to ride with Mitsuru. Uh, there's awkward glances exchanged. And in Hiro's internal monologue, he says that he'd wished that Zero Two had said no. Mm. Mm hmm. I get this is probably awkward for Hero. I don't really think it's awkward for Zero Two because she's already been through uh, untold multitudes of pilots. She's an experienced swinger, but experienced swinger. Him. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but at the very least, this will be the first other that uh, Hero will know about since he is now emotionally attached to Zero Two. So maybe that's what that's all about. Sure. But it was uh, Mitsuru's idea initially, right? He's like, yeah. hey, uh, Hiro can't ride because he's not a stamen parasite, but I am. So I'll do it. Yeah. Uh, so meanwhile, things are going badly in the mine. 
Zorome and Miku are about to try to swipe at another one of these Pokeballs, and it freaks out and jumps on her face, and it is Miku who feels the stress of that attack, and it uh, damages her, and she passes out. Yeah, she, like, shuts down yeah. along with the Franks that they're in. And for the very first time, we see Zorome care about someone other than himself. So maybe this is beginning of some character development. One can hope. Yeah. So the, the party is retreating through some corridors. They get the word that Strelitzi is on the way to the rescue, and Ichigo immediately asks, who is Zero Two piloting with? And then she thinks about the kiss again. And she loses her connection. So another two Franks down, right? Yes. So basically, is it Chlorophytum, the green one? Yeah. By itself. But then just at the last second, well, I guess right before uh, Streletia shows up, mm-hmm. a, a larger version of the same kind of Klaxosaur, mm-hmm. like brain bug thing, it slides into place just like the brain bug scene from Starship Troopers. I'm doing my it's awesome. Oh. Yeah. Here's something else that maybe a lot of people may not have noticed. You know, so Ichigo is thinking about the kiss. Uh, and just as like the wall that they were or door they were bracing themselves against gives way. Uh, and this giant Klaxosaur thing comes through. It looks like a giant mouth with giant lips. And it's right up on Ichigo and Goro. Oh. Yeah. I don't know if this will continue to be a thing. But my feeling is that... Most of the Klaxosaurs uh, are sort of uh, symbols of what what is happening, like psychosocially with uh, our characters. Okay, uh, in a similar way to FLCL, right? A lot of the yeah. robots were very specifically; they looked like other things. There was the one that like kind of flowered and had a third eye, like yeah. yeah. But, but I guess FLCL, they're like coming directly out of his head, right? So there was kind of this like. Yeah. I feel like in-story thing for that, whereas maybe this is a little bit more, um, I don't know, the the anime director god playing with the characters. Well, I mean, there's an interesting correlation there. So uh, it was significant where the mechs came from in Fuli Kuli. And in here, there's these characters who are experiencing things that they don't understand, and they're facing monsters and they don't know where they come from Mm. either here nor there i guess all right so our first team of franks they had to slowly ride a platform down to the bottom of the mine streletzia shows up and just (laughs) does not need any platform just does the assassin's creed leap off a building right and then then one shot kills (laughs) one of these big brain bugs and then uh there is no like triumphant pose or anything. Streletzia just gets up, turns around and starts walking towards the other ones. <laughs> and the uh, the three Franks are going to start making their exit. Yeah. And then we get to see inside the cockpit, right? Mitsuru is <gasps> piloting with Zero Two. And like, yeah. he is in a state. He is like sweating profusely. Yeah. Has this maddened look in his eyes. like, this is what it's like to be a killing machine. You're like, okay. Ha- yeah. Hauntingly horrifying. Yeah. And he- yeah. So he's feeling a rush and he wants to know if Hero is watching. Hero, are you watching? We're in perfect sync. Which is really kind of weird. Because you'd think if it's like really that awesome, like wouldn't he just be in the moment? Mm-hmm. Would he want to say something to Zero Two or just something about his own glory? Uh, but he does all this comparative stuff. It's like, I'll pilot Streletzia better than you. I'll do it without uh, passing out. Brag. 
And then poor Ikuno, we get to see her a couple times in the briefing room and she's just not having a good day. So we get back and Zero Two is like, well, if it's this great, you know, maybe I can just go all out. And Nana knows what that means. And is like, nope, the Franks are already evacuated. You know, we're shutting down now. She's like, no, I'm going to have my fun. Uh, and then she turns around to face another one of the large Klaxosaurs. And she looks at it. And we're basically looking at a big orifice. And then it starts to open up like a blossoming flower. Hmm. And that's where our scene cuts, which to me is another sexual metaphor. Yeah, it was, it was wild. Anyway... Streletzia is very cavalier. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's like it's almost starting to feel like this is like this Willy Wonka kind of story where we're we're getting all of these examples of like what not to do, right? So that mm. um, oh. Mitsuru, like, yeah, he sees this as like a competition. He wants to be the best. I want to be the very best that she's ever had. And he wants everyone else to know that he's the best or whatever, right? But that 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 isn't actually the way to to do this. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that the Klaxosaurs were made of chocolate, but that is a much better <laughs> connection to Willy Wonka. But, you know, you're like, I, I don't know if there's a general name for that kind of story where it's like a series of warnings of, you know, or, or advice. But, oh, um, cautionary tale. Yeah, yeah, I guess, yeah, like a kind of cautionary tale. Yo, so this is a cautionary tale. I hadn't figured that out. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, throwing caution to the wind didn't make sense to me when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I thought people were saying throw cosh into the wind. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was like, what the hell's know- cosh? Yeah. <laughs> Looking around for some cosh. Yeah. And it's like, whatever you do, don't throw it in the wind. It's like peeing against the wind. Uh-oh. Well, it's one of the ingredients of osh, kosh, and bagosh. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he rhymes like dimes. Nice. So like... Kind of like a part of cotton, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. We are blasting through this episode. We're at the end it's good. Here. We're making record time. Yeah. All right. Speed run, baby. <laughs> Speed run, baby. So, um, a wretched state. Uh, Zorome apologizes, and that's another new behavior for him. Uh, he apologizes to me. Yeah, he's really, he's like flipped 180. Yeah. And when Miku accepts him, he like breaks down in tears, oh. uh, which, you know, I feel like he was just in the last episode making fun of people for expressing emotions. And then uh, the cockpit for Strelzia opens up. Uh, Zero Two is just very casual and gives Hero a smiley, cute girl wave. And, you know, uh, fixing her hair in the wind. He's like, yeah, turns out this kid isn't cut out to be my darling. Only you are my darling. You alone. And then I was kind of waiting for the next line. My own precious. <laughs> like a little Gollum Lord of the Rings moment because it was creepy the way she was delivering those lines. It's 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 a ruse. It is a wild ride uh, with Zero Two because our first two episodes, she was you know, just like too cool for school and and wild and crazy. And then in this episode, we see this like somber, like reflective thing and she's talking in code or something. And now she's like super psychopath girlfriend or something. Something that I would like to add is the fact that Zero Two, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that she's experienced a tremendous amount previously that we don't know about. Oh, yeah. 
you know, and she has, she has this forwardness of her where it doesn't matter. I mean, I think ultimately it may be, maybe it's a sign of she's trying to hide something much deeper than presents itself. Like she's adoring a mask of some kind, but she presents it through her dominating presence, you know? And she is specifically older, right? Like the other uh, parasites look like, I don't know, depending on the shot and the episode, anywhere from like 14 to 16, right? But she more specifically is like 17, 18. And, and right? Shira describes himself, he's like, us children can't mm. exit here, right? Yeah. So he's identifying as a child still and saying that she's she's an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh. She's more aware of the context of what she's doing than, than the rest, yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about that more in a spoiler section. Oh. <laughs> okay. At any rate, uh, there's something interesting here. Hiro looks past Zero Two and he sees Mitsuru, and he describes him as being in a wretched state. His nose is bleeding. He's bleeding out of his ears. He has n- blood on his neck, completely awesome. passed out. The best. And this kind of sheds light on what it means to pilot with Zero Two. Alex, you were mentioning something about this before we started our session, like the the first pilot we saw in episode one. Oh, yeah. So this is the first time we get to see, like, piloting with Zero Two does something terrible to her, the stamen that's riding with her. Because there was some, there was a little bit of mystery whether that was true or not, because the first pilot we saw, we didn't see where his injuries came from. And when we saw him like spill out of the Franks and get replaced by Hero, like we knew he was previously injured and we saw the Franks, the Strelitzia, take a big hit before he spilled out. So, but now we know it's not just getting hit in the Franks. It's something about the process of piloting with uh, Zero Two. Because they have this, you know, the, the pilot killer, the partner killer rumor, but we didn't know exactly what that entailed. It's like, oh, it's bad luck to pilot her with her or you'll get into a dangerous situation and get killed. No, it's the act of piloting with her itself. So um, Hiro sees Mitsuru in this wretched state. Maybe he hears her or maybe Zero Two is just saying that in her head about only you are my darling, you alone. Uh, But what what is he thinking about in this moment is was thinking about when she said, I can get you out of here. It's not thinking about anything else, which seems odd to me. And it makes me think about what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode about uh, when someone is starstruck and kind of blinded. Yeah. Like maybe he's just at that point now. He's only seeing certain things. Isn't isn't there a line there though, where he's like, oh, so the rumors about her are true when he sees Mitsuru. Injured in the in the Franks. Yeah, I think that's a line. Yeah, but that didn't happen to him when they piloted, or did it happen? Correct. When he he's special piloted. somehow. Yeah. Wait, who is special? So, oh, hero, hero, hero. Yeah. Right. And right. they and we still don't know exactly why that is, but there there's a couple of you know possibilities. They talked about earlier in the episode when they're all you know gossiping in the common room that he's one of the double digits instead of most of them have a triple digit number right and that even back then among the double digits he was like a cut above everyone in his like synchronization ratios you know like whatever that means but so ichigo is also double digits or is she zero one five and so then that makes her triple digits no she's a double digit yeah um it's like what's his name zorame is uh six 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 Hmm. Um, so I assume most of them. Goro may also be double digit, though. 
Yeah, there's oh. only three of them that are double digits. Oh, I didn't know that. Because mm. a couple of them, this is not, well, I guess this is a spoiler. Like, uh, it's not really a spoiler if you speak some Japanese, right? Ichigo is a way of saying 15, right? Uh, well, and I think, I mean, hero means, uh, hero is 16, I think. So, like, the direct translation would be like 1 5. Okay. Like, Jugo is 15. Mm. And Ichigo also means strawberry. And Kokoro right. also means beautiful. Oh, uh, I can't. What remember. also means beautiful? Uh, Kokoro. Kokoro. I think that's also it's like uh, like heart and mind. Really. And Goro can mean like time. Oh. Now, have you have you noticed how the musical themes how they progress over time and how there were certain pivotal moments like the scene where, not to completely backtrack, but where Zero Two is with Hero. Uh, in front of the city, right? Strings seems to have a very thematic purpose of tension, de- development mm-hmm. in suspense. Mm-hmm. It it also intrigues me that whoever wrote the music, uh, the composer, Sami Tachibana. Yes, thank you, thank you. By the way, uh, was very clear in 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 describing the situation through such suspense and tension like themes of using certain instruments at a certain time a point in time mm-hmm. when it came to brass and strings and there's there has always been a conflict between the two but especially in this episode i noticed it heavily mm-hmm. yeah it's very clear and precise so mm-hmm. just just to add Thanks. that mm-hmm. uh yeah thank you for that 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 scene uh the cityscape scene with uh when she's out on the tree branch thing uh that's like the crux of the episode, right? Yes. Like we come back to it at the end. He says like, the only thing I was thinking about was I can get you out of here. And like, what does that mean in this new context? Mm-hmm. I missed, I guess both times I watched it, that there was this, uh, I think you're right though, Ben, there was this like suicide angle in the uh, in that scene. So when you said that, and then we came to the end and he was like, I was thinking about what she said and looking at Mitsuru and wondering what she meant by I can get you out of here. Does that mean she can kill me mm. and I won't have to deal with like life anymore? I mean, this is, I don't know if this makes sense to talk about even, or kind of if there's anything else we want to do before we wrap up. And I don't know if you guys want to do your spoiler session, but you know, because it does seem like the big theme here is like finding your sexuality and, and, like um and learning to have these like sexual relationships and stuff um you know i think ed you mentioned a couple times the word like dominant and how yes dominant o2 is and then with this thing of like her partner is getting like beaten up or something like that you know it almost Mm -hmm. feels like it's like this kink thing or something like that and that maybe you know we found that um what's his name, uh, Hero, you know, he's mm. not able to get into it with Ichigo anyway. Oh. And, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of like metaphor of like, yeah, like the same things don't work for everyone. And you need to, you need to like find the the partner that can do the things that that work for you. And, you know, I it, it, we still don't know exactly what happened um like i was saying like oh i thought we were, we were going to keep this secret about what happens inside the uh franks and we know what happens inside most of the franks but we have kept the secret of what happens 
between yeah. zero two and everyone. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I'm still very, very curious to find out what what that stuff is. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. That like it's a way of like having your cake and eating it too. Like they did the reveal in view of like what happens inside, but they're like, but there's some things you still don't know. <laughs> very, yeah. cool. very coy. Yeah. Uh, do you, do you, Ben or Brian, do you guys have anything else for this episode? Um, this was not one of my favorite episodes uh, when I first mm. watched the show. Um, I do have a new appreciation for it. Uh, like I said, I just really, really loved that like cityscape balcony scene. Yeah. And it's always a, a completely different experience uh, watching a show in this context versus just sitting on my couch with some sake or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons this is like worth doing, right? It yeah. like, like I wouldn't have contextualized that last line at the end if it wasn't for Ben mm. pointing out lines that came before it. And mm. I didn't get that connection either. <laughs> Teamwork. Awesome. See, it took both of us. We both had to be in the Frank. See, we are the parasites. <laughs> we are the parasites. Uh, is it possible if I could add something else uh, sure. to this for a moment, if that's okay? Because I've also noticed when watching this episode, and this is this is like the entirety of it, is when it comes to, again, this is probably what things we have talked about thematically. What is it to love? What does it mean to love? And we're exploring ourselves. But at times, we are very contradictory creatures. And what we may think is love may not necessarily be what it is, right? And it goes mm. back to that theme, again, of the city being that veil of illusion. And it's funny that I always, every time I see that scene, I think about what it, what does love mean? It not only matters in the context of, I have this, let's say really close friendship, or I'm really intimate with this person. You know, th- there are many avenues and facets of what love is and what love entails. Th- th- that's really all I wanted to add. It was just something exploratory, really. Yeah. Ed. Yes. Uh, you have a really fun YouTube channel. Like if someone wants to get more, Ed, how do you say your last name again? Hobby, hey, uh, Habis, 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 or, 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 or is it really? Well, well, or 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 uh, Habis is fine. I've heard it in many different ways. I I'll be honest. With, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. I do not know, considering I have a very well. It's pronounced however you want to pronounce it. Who cares what you? Well, mean? I know, I know, yeah. but but I mean, for me, I honestly cannot say because I hear Habis, I hear Habis. So, okay. but I will say Habis to make Habis. Habis. Like All right. Habeas tell us about your channel and tell us where we can find it. Yes. Uh, so my channel, uh, YouTube, uh, you can find it as Coffin Cake, C O F F I N C A K K E. Yes. All right. Uh, so it's just Coffin and then Cake. It's basically a channel at the moment. It is a like Let's Play channel, but however, there's a twist to it. Um, I don't just commentate. I have very flavorful ways of doing things. And um, and I will also say there is also a Twitch link that I will also mention that has a lot of relationship to this. For I have co-hosts who tend to come on who have done a lot of artistic things themselves. So we have, we're have we not only like-minded, but when it comes to commentary, we try to add in what is outside of the veil of things. Mm. So it's not just high energy. This high energy has intention. Yeah. So uh, can I hype you up a little bit? Of course. Of course. All right. So, I mean, I've watched several Let's Plays on YouTube. I'm usually looking for like how to beat a boss or find some Easter egg in a game. And for the most part, they're pretty dry stuff. You know, either there's no talking or someone's just explaining 
like the mechanics of something. Uh, I really like your channel because <laughs> your personality really comes through strong and it's like exuberant and uh, spirited. And uh, even though I don't play Call of Duty, uh, I really enjoyed watching your Call of Duty videos. I will say when it comes to the Call of Duty clips, it's not just that. Um, I, have, I have a really good friend by the name of Abdul, by the name of Abdul rather, who he and I are collaborating. We have things in the making. We have uh, what we call jazz, lo-fi, hip-hop beats. We want it to be not just easy listening, but there's something very profound. And what that profoundness is, is like, oh, look at this little melody here. Oh my gosh, it's reoccurring themes, themes and variations. And then boom, I nail you with the Ed solo. And the Ed solo will have, <laughs> a, fl will have a flurry of nice lines, continuity and rationale behind it. Because yeah. every time I try to improvise, I try to make sure that's instilled. Very cool. So if somebody liked Darling in the Franks, what's another anime that you might recommend? Oh, I see. Oh, <laughs> I would recommend, because I remember mentioning this before, but Ergo Proxy. Oh, um, yeah. Ergo Proxy was something I would recommend. And it's because of the themes. Okay. Uh, so just anyone curious about checking out the Coffin Cake channel, my recommendation would be a Battlefield video called Trench Rated. Uh, that one's like... <laughs> It's a real fun ride. <laughs> oh boy. All right. So do you want to record a sign off? Yeah. All right. You ready? Mm -hmm. All right. Pen. Pen. Pals. Darling. Relax. I got this. <laughs> All right. We ready for the spoiler section? So, uh, Ed, you've seen past episode 13, I think? Yes. Okay, yes, this will be soon. Okay. Uh, so my favorite scene in this episode, as we've already mentioned, uh, it's that balcony scene with the cityscape. And to me, it feels like Zero Two is testing Hero to see if this is the kid who broke her out of her room in the garden when she was a kid. Like, whoever that was crawled out on a tree branch much like this structure uh, jutting out from the balcony oh, who reached right. out his hand to take her away, to get yeah. her out of here. Mm. Uh, and that's what it, this all is to me. This is her trying to find her darling and like recreating these scenes. Like, is he the one? Is this my darling? Oh, very. Is this your glass slipper? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. So that's the only real spoilery spoiler thing that I mm -hmm. had in mind. <laughs> oh, um, it's a very short spoiler. But section. I mean, there is okay. something else like a, a larger theme that is maybe possibly spoilery. But like we were already talking about it a little bit when Ed was talk talking about like what is love. So I guess when I when I look at this whole anime as, as a whole, um, it does make me like question a lot of stuff. So like you've got all these characters who are completely ignorant about uh, attraction and intimacy and sexuality and true to like childhood, like kids ask profound questions from a very innocent place, like questions that adults don't think to answer because we've already formed our schemas and filter things out. Mm -hmm. But looking at the relationship between zero two and hero, sometimes it's not healthy. <laughs> but I still root for them. And I'm like, mm -hmm. is this good? Because sometimes her behavior is not okay. Right. You know? I don't care if it's good. It's fucking real, man. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is real. That's exactly right. So 
Uh, I'm reading a book right now about like polyamory and open relationships because I've got a few clients and a few people with, in my personal relationships that have been uh, talking about these things and asking various questions. And I just got to the section in this book. Uh, it's called The Ethical Slut. And they're talking about one of the, the problems that people who are either polyamorous or in open relationships, one of the problems that they encounter in our culture. And the idea is that the existence of an other is sometimes threatening to conventional masses. The very existence of something that goes outside of their definition of what's normal changes the boundaries of what they can look at is what's possible and available in life. So mm -hmm. going back to an earlier time, like maybe this was homosexuality, right? So there's this like Christian conservative idea of what relationships are and how they're supposed to be in America. And then all of a sudden the homosexual population are saying, well, we want to be recognized, validated. We want to have legally recognized marriages, if we want that, uh, why would that be a threat to heterosexuals? Because it doesn't affect them, but it was mm -hmm. still a threat because the very existence of something outside of what they thought of as normal changed the boundaries of a social idea to them. And it was no longer simple, safe, and secure. Now it's unfamiliar and potentially threatening or chaotic or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I guess when I was watching this episode that it kept coming back in my mind, like how simple these parasites like see everything. Zorome, Mitsuru, the, even Goro, they're just very black and white thinkers. And then here comes Zero Two, this kind of agent of chaos, and she's going to disrupt everything that is maybe normal to them. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe that's why like Ichigo would feel threatened. I don't know. Maybe it's more than that. I don't really have a lot to base this on. This is like really super speculative for me. Yeah. But like, I feel like zero two's presence at mm. uh, plantation 13 sets a lot of things in motion. I think that if zero two had never showed up, like Ikuno may have never gone on the journey that she does go on later. I think Kokoro probably would have never gone on the journey that she goes on later. Like zero two's presence, it disrupts the boundaries of mm. what is what is and mm. maybe those two characters particularly now feel more comfortable asking questions exploring different ideas mm.